I thank all of you who have been praying uh, for me at this hour. Um, I'm reminded of just last week, I don't know if some of y'all been praying like, like Caden did, but I asked Caden, I said, Caden, I picked him up from the house. I said, I want you to pray for Uncle Craig. He said, uh, he said you got a cold too? I said, no, Caden, I just want you to pray over him. I said, can you do that? He said, sure. He said, dear Jesus, please help Uncle Craig to stop sniffling. <laughs> he says, give Uncle Craig the power to create life. And he said, and take Uncle Craig to heaven. I said, time out. Uh-uh. Time out, Caden. That's a... 15-yard penalty. Uh, but God knows how to sift through the words of a little child and make them work in his favor. Amen. Pastor has been uh, pouring into our lives, uh, not just during this series, but uh, many series in many years. And it takes a certain heart to be a pastor. People make the mistake of believing that a pastor simply has to love people. And, and I had a conversation with a gentleman last night about that very thing, that uh, a pastor's primary responsibility is to love people. And, and even though that sounds good, that's really not the case. I'll tell you why. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he restored Peter to his ministry of apostleship. You know, Peter had fallen, and Peter fell low. And Jesus met Peter right where he was, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. He, he says, then, then, then feed my sheep. Again, Peter, do you love me? Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And, and we get so caught up in the, 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 the feeding the sheep part that we miss what Jesus was asking Peter. You see, the primary responsibility of a pastor is not to love you, but to love Jesus. And when the pastor understands that and when the pastor loves Jesus, then he can understand how to love you. I tell anybody, any young person, especially young women, I say, lady, make sure you get you a man who loves Jesus. Because if he does not love Jesus, he won't know how to love you. It's important that men love Jesus. He's been pouring into us in, in this series on preparing for greater. Now, as you can recall, this series, I'm going to give you a little recap to kind of catch us up for those who hadn't been here. Um, he started out with, with the nation of Israel just having come out of Egypt. And, you know, they were held in Egypt for 400 years. And they were in bondage. And I know on God's mind, you know, you're in, in, in bondage that long, you're going to have a slavery mindset. And that slave mindset had begun to set in the people. They didn't understand what deliverance was. They didn't understand what freedom was. All they knew was shackles and bondage. And so the first thing that I learned from this series is that God began to deliver his people physically, but he also wanted to deliver them mentally. Because you have to be delivered both physically and mentally in order to be able to get the greater that God has for you, because if not, you'll be finding yourself going back like they did 
in their minds to the place where God was trying to deliver them from. And so the first thing I learned was that God was trying to deliver his people. But then secondly, we learn that God disciplines his people. And pastors share with us that there were three primary areas of fault that the nation of Israel was in. Number one, the nation of Israel had a lot of fear. Not only did they fear, they had unbelief. And not only did they fear and have unbelief, but they were constantly what? Complaining. They were fearful, even though God had delivered them through the Red Sea, they were still fearing, fearing for food, fearing for safety. They were filled with unbelief. They still just could not conceptualize in their minds and in their hearts, how could God do what he said he could do? How can you bring us water? How can you bring us food in this desert and barren land? Filled with unbelief, but then they were also constantly, because they doubted God, because they were filled with fear, they complained. They complained, constantly complained. So they were filled with fear, unbelief, and complaining. But we understand three things. God delivers, God disciplines, and God desires. He, he wanted to deliver his people. He, he uh, disciplined his people because of their fear and unbelief, but he also desired something from them. He desired to accomplish them, to help them to accomplish, to, to, to see great things. He wanted to use them to accomplish the greater things in life. He wanted to prepare them and grow them up in the things of God. And the same thing is true for you and me today. God wants to grow us up in Christ so that we can accomplish great things for the hand and work of God. Then the series took a little pivot and he started talking about preparing for greater in the area of relationships, preparing for greater in the area of relationships. And we learned that to prepare for greater in the area of of relationships, one of the first things we have to do is learn to let go the wounds of our past. We've got to let go of the wounds that are in our past. There are a lot of things that hang us up. There are a lot of people who hung us up. There are some people in our lives who we expected greater from and they wounded us terribly. But God says, in order for you to get to where I need for you to be, you've got to forgive people right now. Forgiveness is always for you. It's really not for that person. Because that person who you are hating has moved on. They got a new family, new life, new house, new bicycle. And you still mad about your bicycle. And God says, you've got to forgive them and move on. He said... The week before last, he talked about the father wound. And those wounds can be severe and they can be very deep. The father wound, the absentee father, the physically abusive father, the physically present but mentally absent father, the father wound. Last week, he talked about the smother, the mother wound. The overly compensating mother, the mother who smothers their children so much, don't want to ever let them outside, don't let them go do anything. You've got to stop 
doing that. I, you know, a few, few months ago, Caleb, uh, I got a phone call from, from, from uh, the school, uh, maybe my wife, I'm not sure, and, I, and they said it was urgent that I get to the school uh, because Caleb had had a, a collision that, that, that caused some damage. So I, I, I get to the school, and Caleb, you know, walks out from, from the back, and, you know, all of the women who, who, are, who are in there, you know, you can just kind of see their heads are just, you know, hung down a little bit and just a little long face and, and whatnot. And what had happened was Caleb uh, was playing football, praise the Lord, and, and he hit or somebody hit him while he had his glasses on. And it put a nice little gash in his eye. And so, you know, when the ladies saw that, of course, you know, blood trickling down his eyes and all that, you know, they, they were upset and all about that, and they called, and I had to get on up there to the, to the, to the, to the school, and, you know, and, and you can just see those faces, and Caleb comes out, and, you know, they are frowning, they're upset, and I'm all smiles. You know, and I'm, I'm looking like, man, I can't wait till the other eye gets opened up. You know, because, because young boys just need to get hit. I'm serious. They do. They need to fall down. It's okay. It's okay. It'll be all right. If they break a little finger, it's okay. You know, they'll recuperate. I, you know, I'll tell you, I thank God for my father. Uh, because my dad told, told my mom early, now you're going to have to let that boy go. You know, and my dad armed me with two things. A bicycle and a BB gun. And I was terror on wheels. Go anywhere I wanted to go, and I had my bicycle and I had my BB gun, and I was tearing stuff up. The father wound, the mother wound. Now we're going to continue in our series, uh, preparing for greater, and we're going to talk about comfort one another what it means to comfort one another. Uh, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 10 in NLT. Comfort one another. Every time you see the word comfort in these next several scriptures that we're going to read, I want you to do something for me. I want you to audibly say the word, okay? So when we get to the word and it says comfort or comforted or comforts, your job is to say it audibly with me. All right, y'all ready? You got your assignment? All right, let's roll. Verse 3, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God, that God is our merciful Father and the source of all All praise, excuse me, he comforts us. He what? In all our troubles so that we can, when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your and salvation. For when we ourselves are, we will certainly you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. Verse 7. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the 
that God gives us. So we see in these first several verses that the word comfort, I don't know if you were counting, but I got nine. In the first few verses, you get the word and you see the word comfort or comforted or comforts nine times. Let's continue on in our reading. Verse eight. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we faced uh, through the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability, and we thought that we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. In fact, we expected to die. You see that? We expected to die. Verse 10, and he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. This idea of comfort is very familiar, isn't it? Every one of us, in some shape, form, or fashion, wants some level, some margin, small or great, of comfort. Even in the seats you're sitting in right now, you are sitting in a position of the person who you are sitting next to. You are typically sitting next to a person who is a person of. Not Andrea, now you don't. That's my comfort. (laughs) You're sitting next to a person of comfort. We love the idea of comfort and being comforted. We love it so much that we even have comfort foods. You're not alive if you don't like fried chicken. (laughs) Collard greens and mustard greens and uh, sweet potatoes and yams and macaroni and cheese. All those Those are what we call what? Comfort foods. Comfort foods. And when you eat too much of that comfort food, You get what? Uncomfortable. Amen. All right. But we also have comfort places. There are places in our houses that we just really enjoy going to. Or there may be another person's house or a room uh, in the house or whatever that you have your you have your comfort places. And then some of us even have comfort people. Right. My children love their grandparents. They love them more than they love me. And I do more for them. But it's just a whole idea. You know, they're grandparents. They love them. And and, and they are just comfort people to them. But you know what else? We find comfort in our careers, some of us. Some of us find comfort in climbing the ladder to success. And we even have comfort scriptures, don't we? Y'all, that's a familiar one. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we take that so far out of context. Just like most other comfort scriptures, it's important, pastor teaches this, it's important that once you read a text, you know the context of the text. And here's the thing, let me give you a breakthrough on that. If you understand the context, then you can pray with power. Okay? Because if you take some scripture out of context, and that God never meant for that scripture to be used in the way that you're praying, then that, that prayer may not affect you the way that you want it to do. 
But if you read the whole passage and understand what God was saying and try to find yourself in that scripture, then God can use that scripture to bless your life or bless the lives of others. So don't, it's OK to have a comfort scripture, but just make sure that you understand the context of the scripture. All right. Now, when you look at those those, those first um, several several verses, those first several verses, um, honestly, guys, it, it's, it's, it's really out of order. It's really out of order. Paul is talking about comfort, but, but when you read it, you really get the sense that it's, it should have been in reverse order. It seems as though verses 8 through 10 should have been first, and then verses 1 through 7 should have followed it. But here's the thing. Paul got so caught up talking about how good God was, it's almost as if he forgot to tell us the story of why God was good. You've been there before. God has delivered you. He's brought you through something. You know, he's brought some person uh, into your life and you never thought you'd have. He took you away from from drugs. He took you away from alcoholism. He, he did. He healed your body. And all you can do is say, God is able. And other people are looking like, OK, why is he able? <laughs> what, what happened? And so Paul is, is so excited about what God has done, the level of comfort that God has brought in his life and in Timothy's life is almost as if he forgets to tell us what the story really is all about. And so when you get to verse 8, it reads this way. He finally gets there. He says, okay, we think you ought to know. <laughs> you know, God praise you for your comfort. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your joy. You've comforted us. You've done all these things. Oh, oh, and by the way, here's what happened. He says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble that we went through in the province of Asia. He says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought that we would never live through it. Verse 9, in fact, we expected to die. Has any of you been ever given a sentence of death to where you expected to die? He says, but as a result, as a result of God's goodness, as a result of God's mercy, as a result of God's grace, as a result of God's provision, as a result of God's comfort. He says, as a result, we stop relying on ourselves and learn to rely only on God who raises the dead. That's powerful. Verse 10. And he did rescue us from mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. Now, some of those previous verses, I had some words underlined for you and I want you to see that. Our first point that I really want to bring out to you today, brothers and sisters, is that there is a necessity of comfort. There is the necessity of comfort. You see, a lot of us get caught up in the convenience of comfort. I want my car to be convenient and comfortable. I want my house to be convenient and comfortable. I want my spouse to be convenient and comfortable. We get caught up in the convenience of comfort. But brothers and sisters, there is a necessity of comfort that goes well beyond the convenience of our comfort. You see, we, we, we think of comfort, you know, oh, just it's OK, baby. You know, that, you know, let, let mama going to pat you on your head. No, that's not the kind of comfort that he's going to talk about. When you're in the face of death, you don't need somebody to pat you on your head and tell you it's going to be all right. 
You need some real comfort. So here we are, the necessity of comfort. Number one, trouble. Number two, being crushed. Number three, being overwhelmed. And number four, the expectation of death. All of those things fall under the necessity of being comforted. If you are in trouble, if you are being crushed, if you are overwhelmed by a circumstance or situation or a person or you have uh, a sentence of death on your life, you need you need comfort. 2016 was uh, a very busy year. That was the year that Michael graduated from high school. And he had um, received a scholarship from, from Texas Southern to play football. Man had come down and come to our house and, you know, wanted to visit with Micah, and they offered him a scholarship. And right before graduation, we get an ugly phone call. Now, Micah's curfew, <clears throat> I'm not going to say was, Micah's curfew is 12 o'clock. <laughs> Micah's 21 years old, but as long as he lives with us, his curfew is 12 o'clock. And here's the reason why. There's nothing open past 12 o'clock but hotels. Okay. So you, you, got, you got to come home. All right. So, you know, my wife may be asleep, whatever, but I'm, I'm always looking. I'm looking at that clock, 1150. I'm like, you, you got 10 minutes, homeboy. He, he, 1150 came one night. 11.55 came. I don't call now. I'm not going to call you. 11.59, 12, 12.05, somewhere around 12.10 or 12.20, we get a phone call. Um, sir, um, uh, ma'am, I don't, I don't know. If, I, I think this is your son, but he's, he's in the ditch on the side of 2.20. That's one thing. Um, you need to hurry up and get out here. His car flipped about three or four times. Now, what do you do when you, when you hear that kind of news? And so my wife and I hurriedly got dressed, and, and we, we got on the interstate, and we had to go down before we come up. And so when we came up, we could see the car. Uh, it, was, it was my car. And... and the car was so badly damaged, it was knocked completely off the frame. Flipped three or four times. And, and Micah was able to walk away from that accident. There was no way in the world that he should have been able to walk away from that. He walked away, and he was in the ambulance, in the back of the ambulance, and so we drove up. And, and when I saw Micah, the first thing on Micah's mind was, oh, my God, I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> and, and he said, the first thing he says, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I, brought, I messed the car, I'm so sorry. I said, Micah, I could care less about that car. The most important thing is that you are okay. When he was in trouble, what my son did not need was a lecture at that time. What he needed was love. And when you're in trouble, you don't need somebody to lecture you. 
You need somebody to love on you and to comfort you. When you're being crushed by a relationship, crushed by a a broken dream, crushed by uh, uh, unfulfilled promises, crushed by the the non-advancement that you thought was going to happen on your job by promotion, crushed, you need comfort. When you're overwhelmed by a circumstance or a situation or by a person, or when you have an expectation of death, when someone says you only have five months to live, what you need is not a lecture. You need love and comfort. You need comfort. You need comfort. Now, that's the necessity of comfort. I want to look now at the mission of comfort. There's a necessity of comfort, but then there's also the mission of comfort. Number one, the mission of comfort is to recognize God's provision and grace in your life. And number two, to be gracious to others in time of need. That's a mission. The mission is for you to recognize God's provision and grace in your life. Look at verse four again. He comforts us in all our troubles. Stop right there. Paul, at that point, recognizes that it is God who brings about the comfort in his life and in the life of Timothy. He says he comforts us in all our trouble. He recognizes he brings attention to God's grace and God's glory, God's mercy, God's comfort. You see, the mission, write this down, the mission of any Christian is to bring attention to Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. The mission of any Christian is to bring attention to Jesus Christ. Attention to Jesus Christ. But then secondly, he he says, be gracious to others in need. So the second part of verse four is so that we can comfort others. You see, he comforts us in our trouble, but he comforts us so that we can now be a comfort to other people. So the mission of it is to recognize God's provision, but also to be gracious to others who are in time of need. There's a necessity of comfort. There's the mission of comfort. But then now we're going to segue into the ministry of comfort and allow me some time to really get this down. The ministry of comfort. John chapter 11 presents to us a very familiar passage of scripture. John 11. And we're going to read through these scriptures and see what nuggets we can pull from them. Verse 1, a man named Lazarus was sick. I highlighted it for you. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Verse 2, this Mary... This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Your dear friend is very sick. There is the ministry of comfort. The first thing I want you to understand under the ministry of comfort is that you have to understand the condition before attempting to comfort. 
You've got to understand a person's condition before you attempt to provide comfort. Notice what it said in all three of those verses. It, it said one, it says a man named Lazarus was sick. And then it says this man's sister uh, uh, was named Mary and she was the brother of the man who was sick. And then in verse three, your dear friend Jesus is sick. So three times it got to the Lord's ears and his attention that his friend was sick. And he was sick enough so that Mary and Martha would even grab his attention. Now, why is that important? I honestly believe the scripture doesn't necessarily say this, but I honestly believe that Jesus found a great deal of comfort being around Martha, Lazarus and Mary. That was his go to place. That's where those were his friends. Those were his homies. And one of the reasons why I believe that they were such good friends of Jesus is that they didn't bombard him with all those requests. Lord, can you fix this? Lord, can you do this? Lord, will you do this? No, I think they just enjoyed the presence of Jesus. And so Jesus just naturally uh, had an affection towards them because they didn't want necessarily what he could do, but they just wanted him. That's a word. Some of us need to think on that line. We want what God can do for us, but God says, no, I just want you to want me. And that's important to know why, because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We should choose God because God first chose us. Chose us. Lazarus knew, well, Jesus knew that Lazarus was sick. He knew why he was sick. And he knew that people were trying to grab his attention to try to fix the problem of him being sick. Now, here's the thing I want you to be challenged by. Do you care to know when somebody's in need of comfort? Do you really pay attention to the needs of those who are around you? Or are you quick to rush and brush people off? Pastor, one of the greatest ministries that we have at this church is that of going to Pilgrim Manor uh, Nursing Home. All of our ministries are great. That one is so significant. I'm going to tell you why, Pastor. The last time we were there and we were delivering all those goods, uh, lotions and socks and all kinds of things, I had a chance to talk with the manager, one of the managers there at that facility. And I just had to ask her this question. I said, ma'am, are there times when a person um, is dropped off or left here at this facility and the family does not come and see them anymore? And unfortunately, I really wasn't surprised by her answer. Because her answer was, she says, sure, it happens all the time. She says there are times when a person will bring their family member and for the first one or two weeks, they'll come in and they'll check on them. Says that after that, we never see them again. And so every time, church, we go over there and I know we go over there in different groups, but every time we go, it's important to just take a little time and spend time with people who don't get a chance to commune with anybody else. But you've got to pay attention to those kinds of needs. 
Give you another example. Come here, Andrea. You should have known this was coming. Great. Uh, at the altar call, we have altar call every Sunday, right? At the altar call, when pastor says, uh, if those of you who are in the audience today are in need of prayer, and he is in need of prayer all the time. <laughs> he says, if those of you who are in need of prayer, come on down. Just come on down. Whatever the situation may be, uh, you know, you just come on down. Come on, come in front of me, please, Andrea. It's okay. It's safe. <laughs> all right. Um, here's, here's something that we should never do. Those of us who are, who are in this ministry, where we have to minister to people down front, here's something we should never do. When a person comes down, you put your hands on their shoulder or grab their hands or whatever and just start praying. Lord, thank you for everything you're doing in this person's life. Lord, we pray, oh, Lord, an extra amount of blessing on their life. Lord, please help this man's mind because you know it's just thrown off. You know, Lord, um, you know, uh, uh, fix, fix, fix the baby. Lord, you know, and we never took the time to say, hey, brother, what, what, what brings you down? That's a mistake. And you have to know to pay attention. That's the key. Paying attention to a person's needs. He may have a need for his coworker who's having a problem. And I'm praying over him and Lord, shower him with blessings. Lord, you know you love him. Lord, you know, uh, uh, remove the move a heart of, of, of stone and give him the heart of flesh. You know, all this stuff, you know, and that's a good prayer of him. But all of these things, all of these things, you know, that's fine if that's what he came down here for. But he's come down here, you know, to pray and have a request over a co-worker. We need to take the time in this ministry and say, hey, brother, what brings you down? And I know we do a good job with that. I, I know that's what happens, but we need to make sure that we continue to do that. That's important to know. Thank you, Andrea. That's important to know. That's important to know. Our relationship is kind of like Ali and Frazier. It really is. It's like, you know, I, you know, he jabs and I hit and, you know, and he, he hits real low sometimes and I kick, you know. And so just 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 understand that we, we, we love each other terribly, though. You know, it's, it, that's, that's my brother. That's my brother. All right. So let, let's continue in, in our in our scriptures. Verse seven. Okay, we're talking about the ministry of comfort. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Verse eight. But his disciples objected. Excuse me as I say this. Rabbi, are you crazy? They said only a few days ago in Judea, they were trying to stone you. Are you going back there again? Verse eight. Or verse 14, excuse me. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. He says, come, let's go and see him. Verse 16, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, or some version says Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, well, let's go too and die with Jesus. <laughs> now, we give Thomas a hard time. We call him Dowling Thomas and all that. But you know what? Thomas was ready. At that particular moment, Thomas says, you know what, I, we, we, man, well, let's, you know, who, who says that, though? You know, well, let's just go die. You know, like that's the thing to do, you know. So but, but he was trying to prepare his heart and prepare the hearts of those who were with him 
to be prepared to die. Here's what I want you to see. Under the ministry of comfort, be willing to be inconvenienced in order to comfort others. Be willing to be inconvenienced in order to comfort others. Now, Jesus wasn't physically there in Bethany. It took him a few days to get over to Lazarus because, you know, they didn't have cars back then. And, and, and Jesus didn't come down in splendor and grace. And so he didn't he didn't have, you know, the, the, the latest mule or the latest horse. And so they, you know, they, they had a lot of walking to do. And so it took them a number of days to get from place to place to place to place. He wasn't physically in Bethany and it took time to get there. That's an inconvenience. That's an inconvenience. His disciples felt strongly that they were going to die. That, my friend, is an inconvenience. Here's the question. Are you willing to go out of your way to connect with people and to comfort others? Are you willing to go out of your way to connect with people and to comfort others? Are you willing to risk your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that missionaries do that all the time? People who go off to foreign fields and foreign nations, they risk their very lives to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are language barriers, that's, that, that is inconvenience. There, there are health concerns, that's an inconvenience. Um, they, they leave their families behind, that's an inconvenience. They have death threats, that's an inconvenience. But they are willing to be inconvenient because they know that if they can bring the message of Jesus Christ, that is the hope of salvation, at least somebody will go to heaven. Brothers and sisters, we have to be inconvenienced sometimes for the cause of Christ. We cannot be afraid even of mortal death. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 10 and 28. He says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill the body. He says, they can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Verse 17 and 18. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Verse 19. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary. Here's that word again to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Martha, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. Do you all see that that glimpse of hope that she puts in there? It, Martha really knew a fundamental thing. He, she knew that he was the author and the giver and the sustainer and even could raise up the dead. She says, because even now I believe and we know that God will give you whatever you ask. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And at that moment, she's deflated because she's thinking he'll do it now. But when he said rise again, that, that, that was language she understood for the resurrection. And so she immediately got deflated right there at that very moment. She had high expectations, high hope, and then was deflated. He says, um, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asked her a question. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. She replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, that you are the son of God who is to come into the world. There are two things I want you to see from this. Number one, we are to practice being physically present and we are to warm hearts with gentle words. We are to practice being physically present and we are to warm hearts with gentle words. Gentle words. Jesus could have spoken a word right there on the spot. And solve the problem, solve the situation, raise Lazarus from the dead right from where he was. But what he did was he took the time to come from where he was to Bethany to be with the people whom he loved. And you need to know that Jesus is right there in that seat with you. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus is present with you. and He's present with me right now. But he cares so much that he left where he was to come to where the need was. Do we do that? Do do we practice being physically present when people need us? But then secondly, as we recognize that need, do we warm people's hearts with gentle words? Do we warm their hearts with gentle words? Comfort one another. There is the necessity of comfort. There is the mission of comfort. And there is the ministry of comfort. Where do you fit in that? That's the question. All heads about all eyes closed.